And I want to talk this morning about forward-looking faith. And, uh, you know, last week we started with this verse, and it was, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And um, those are the words the Apostle Paul spoke, and he wrote in his letter to the early followers of Christ in the, that were residing in Philippi. So this is from the book of Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And last week we looked at this first part of Paul's statement as we sought an answer to the question, what are we supposed to do with this life we experience here on earth? I mean, two weeks ago, like I referred to, we looked at the meaning and the stories behind the hymns, and we sang them, and we, we reminded that we're to live a life of worship, a life that is also filled with praise, like we started our service. You know, God, you are great. That's praise. And God, we worship you, and that's, that's the second part of this. And we discover that in order to live is Christ, as the verse says, we must live as Christ. And to live as he lived, to live as he instructed us to live, and to live in a way that responds to situations of all kinds just as he would have responded to them. And that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? Right? Sometimes we can be really good about reading the Bible and we can be really good about some of these things and are, are, we're really on with our prayer life right now. But someone does something. And... And we respond to it in a way that Christ wouldn't have responded. Right? And that's tough because that's just what we do. And that's, that's, a, that's a tough one, whether it's uh, anger or forgiveness. But we're called to live a life absent of anger and resentment, to live a life that is more concerned with what is unanimously right, which is good for everybody, and not one that is primarily concerned with what we judge to be fair. To live as Christ means that we proclaim the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ, God's word, our instructions for our life. To live as Christ means that we imitate the example of Christ. We act Christ-like with love and compassion and forgiveness. To live as Christ means we pursue the knowledge of Christ, right? We study his word, we study his teachings, and then we apply them. To live as Christ means we're willing to give up anything that prevents us from having the best possible relationship with Christ. Now, how do we identify these things? We have to know Christ. We have to know how he lived. We have to know what his word, the Bible, instructs us to do. And get in the, what's getting in the way of that? What am I focusing on instead of him? What's competing with him for my time and attention and talents? Okay? There are many, many wonderful things and a lot of things that, that people think are evil. You know, People misread these things. I mean, money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money. Right? Because we can do wonderful things with money, can't we? We can support the community. We can support those in need. We can do wonderful need. It's the love of money. When that replaces a spot built for loving God, that it becomes a problem. But I asked you this question last week. This was the question. I said, if you were to answer honestly, how would you say you're doing in the areas of living as Christ? And if you remember your answer, you don't have to tell me now. But remember how you answered, and now I have to ask. One week has gone by. How would you answer that question this morning? Is your answer different from last week? Did you ask and then did you allow God to change you in such a way that you lived a little closer to how he called you to live? Did you make a difference after you left this place? And regardless of how you answer then or now, I don't want you to ever let up on that goal. Whether you did well with that question or not, never ever stop trying to improve in that area. Enlist the help of friends and family to hold you accountable to God's desire for your life. 
Because even more important than it making you a good spouse, a good parent, or a good neighbor, or a good friend, it makes you a better child of God. And that is truly what you are as a child of God. And as such, you should ask for your loving Heavenly Father to help you recognize the gaps so that you can realign your standard of living with God's standard for your living. And then watch what he does in your life. Watch for the blessings when you get out of his way and let him do what he wants to do for you. So as we continue to work on this, we need to also add the challenge of keeping our eyes on the kingdom. Live up to this godly standard and all the while aim your focus on the bigger picture. What you hope God to do in your life and through your life, keep your mind on those things. You were created to live with the hope and that's the true hope. Not the kind of hope like we Kansas Cityans hope the Chiefs win today, but a true hope, right? Without the fears and distractions of a past that entangles and inhibits you. And scripture tells us in Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And what I love about the scriptures that reminds us that we have a cheering section in heaven that is celebrating our successes and this morning, our struggles, and they witness everything that we do and everything we go through. Is that comfort? Do you feel comfort that you're being so watched so closely? Or does that make you feel something other than comfort? You know, are there some parts of your life that you wish that wasn't that visible? Just as we learned during the message titled Called Out in Order to Be Pulled In, we are called out. That is, we are afflicted by feelings of discomfort in order to help us recognize when our life is out of alignment, when God's will for us. He doesn't condemn, he convicts. And that conviction, he doesn't feel good. And that's when we go, whoa, am I doing something? Am I feeling something? Am I saying something that I shouldn't be saying? And God's plan, like any good fathers, is not to constantly discipline and control us, Rather is to correct us and then set us free to try again and to do better. And in the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we find these words. This is from verse 1, Galatians 5, 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burned again by the yoke of slavery. And he's talking about um, slavery to the law. But Christ has set us free. And he's saying, stand firm. Don't let yourself be bogged down by, by these things. And then we jump ahead to verse 13 and he gives these words of warning because we can stop there or we can read on and it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were called to be free. God wants you to live and enjoy the freedom of this life. But he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, right? Just because you can make bad choices doesn't mean you should. Don't we tell our kids that? Rather serve one another humbly in love. Paul says embrace your freedom and then use it for kingdom purposes, for God's purpose. So we see that we're divinely set free and we know that the blood shed on the cross created the covenant that truly set us apart. This happened once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and then repented for our sins. And if we have accepted this truth, then there's no reason to look back on your old selves and our old ways of living. The sins of our past, no matter how recently this past was, so we have a future filled with hope, and not just a hope, it's the hope. The scripture and image that I chose to the back of the bulletin this week, it is from Isaiah 43, 18, 19. And here are the words in, in the translation I, I'm going to speak now are from uh, the NIV translation. It says, forget the former things. 
Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And I wasn't trying to impersonate God's voice there, but I hope the enthusiasm, I hope I did something better with that. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see what I'm doing, this new thing? Give your life to the Lord. Do not dwell on the past you led before you knew him. Don't even dwell on the past mistakes of this morning. You, child of God, make the decision that from this moment going forward, you will be new. You will be better. You will be free and you will be faithful. So I call this forward-looking faith. And there's so much to this. It's much more than simply don't look back. And there's certainly lessons to be learned from the past. And that conviction you felt when you messed up, let that remind you not to make that mistake again. But remember, mistake and dwelling on it are two different things. Remembering it and dwelling on it are two different things. And forgiveness is needed for this to work right. For forgiving others for what they have done in the past. And of course, forgiving yourself. Forward-looking faith means you don't take this journey facing backwards, thinking about what has happened, but about the promise of what is coming. Forward-looking faith means you have a hope for the future, and that hope comes in large part because of what was already accomplished. Jesus has defeated the world and all of the death and general yuck that is of the world. From John 16.33, these are Jesus' own words. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Forward-looking faith means you live a life that anticipate what God is going to do. And this is an active posture. And I talked about this maybe a little over a year ago. And I had some examples of, of like softball players. And they're in their field and they got their glove ready. They're not doing anything. They're just waiting, but they're reactively ready. And there are some poses in yoga that it's an active posture where you're completely engaged. Your muscles are working. You just look like you're standing there. But God wants you to have an active posture while you wait for him to do his work. It's an expectant lifestyle. You aren't just anticipating, but you're expecting God to do something, and you're ready. So are you ready for what he's promised to do? I want you to keep that question in mind as we look at some of the promises that have been made to you. We've been promised eternal life from 1 John 2.25, and this is what he's promised us, eternal life. Very simple. God has promised us eternal life. God has promised us new hearts and desires from Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of the flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. We talked about this last week. Once you have accepted Jesus into your heart and you do it fully, unconditionally, you cannot help but be changed. Is real change possible? We talked about that 14, 15 months ago. It is. In fact, it has to happen when this occurs. God has promised forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If then, remember that logic? If we do this, then God does this. If we do this, then God can do this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. God promises our sins will be far removed from us, Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, right? So far he has removed our transgressions from us. And he promised our sins are buried from Micah 7.19. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities, our imperfections. You, he will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. 
Here's another promise, and I love this one. God has promised the fruit of the Spirit. Again, Galatians 5. Reading Galatians 5, it starts with a talk about freedom, and then it gets into life in the Spirit. And so reading Galatians 5 is really a good read. But in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We all kind of get nervous in that last one. I mean, anybody else need a little more self-control? Right? God's promised us the Holy Spirit, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? Don't we want good for our children? And we love our children. But even with our love, we are still flawed, and God loves unconditionally. So whatever we imagine we love our children, God's like, I love you so much more, you don't even get it yet. And that's what he does for you, and that feels good, doesn't it? He says, God loves me more than I can even imagine, certainly more than I deserve. And all these things I want for my kids, he wants more than that for me. And not only that, he's got the power to do more than that for me. And this Holy Spirit sends a guide us and show us the truth, John 16, 13. When he, the spirit of truth, is, is here, he will guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear and what shall he speak, then he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit works within us. We accept Jesus into our heart and the Holy Spirit is within our soul. And when we're really struggling to say, God, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, it's that spirit that kicks in and gives us those words. God has promised that you will not lack anything that is needed, Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his great riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And he promised to take care of our daily needs, Matthew 6.31-34. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly fathers know that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right? That's the second time I've said God or Jesus has says there's problems. Right? You will have troubles, but worry about it because I've overcome them. Don't worry about tomorrow's problems because today's got its own problems. God has never promised that you won't go through tough times. His promise is that he's there with you and he will find a way through it with you. Now God has promised outdo you in certain areas, and I love this one as well. It's like game on, God. Let's see who can do this one. Test God, see if he will bless you with more than you can hold. Malachi three ten eleven. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there be food in my house and try now try me now in this, says the Lord of the hosts. If I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. And now rebuke the devourer of your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. You know, so many times that he says directly or refers to this, try to outdo me, test me in this, and see if I don't outdo you. Give, and it will be given to you, right? Whatever measure you use, do you remember this? I'll take whatever that measure that is, and God will fill it overflowing and then pack it down and overflow it more so much is coming in your lap. I mean, when it comes to things I really need, like love and forgiveness... I want to use the biggest cup or biggest whatever I can find because I need that much more overflowing. That's the challenge. Or how about what, he, what Paul said? He goes, whatever I can imagine about heaven, it's going to be so much better than that. God has promised that whatever you imagine heaven to be, whatever that looks like, it'll be better. And God gave the best he had by giving us his only son. 
Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God didn't withhold that, I have no reason to believe that he's going to withhold any of these blessings he's talked to us about. God has promised peace, Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stays on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. If we trust in the Lord, then he will give you peace. Philippians 4.6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's part of the premise behind why we pray, or the benefit, certainly, of praying as a congregation. We worry about these things. We lift them up in prayer because God says, if you pray about it and you turn it over him, I surrender all, like we sang, and you do so with thanksgiving. God, I thank you for the God you are, that you care about these things. Let your request be made known to him. And then there's nothing to worry about. God's in control. And, and God promises peace to those who live according to the principles of the Bible. Psalms 119.165 Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. But we struggle, right? We stumble. God promises to walk with us in our troubles. Psalm 138.7 Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. We don't need to be afraid or fearful because Jesus said in his own words, peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus' peace, God's peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't let it be afraid. God has promised victory over temptations. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you such as, except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way to escape, and you may be able to bear it. Now, a lot of people think temptations as maybe it's a, an addiction, alcoholism or pornography or something like that, but aren't we tempted sometimes to respond in anger? Aren't we tempted sometimes to hold a grudge? I mean, aren't these temptations that, are, that become these parasites that hold us back from a better relationship with God? Say, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common. Hate to say this, you're not special. Other people get angry, and other people hold resentment, and other people deal with addictions. But he says, I'm not going to let you deal with anything you can't handle. So there's your promise. Whatever it is, no matter how overbearing it feels, God says, I can handle more than this. I just don't want to, and he doesn't want me to. And he's going to let you out. He's got an escape for you. Maybe it's simply of the word no. Or an alternative. Seek God in these things. God has promised victory over temptation. What's really nice, and we're talking about the, the, the bad temptation, okay? God promises that the devil will flee from you, right? If we submit to the Lord and draw near to him. James 4, 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God, right? Give your life to God. Give your thoughts. Surrender all. Resist the devil and he will flee you. How powerful is that? No means no. Devil has to stop in the name of Jesus. It says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We talked about this, reaching for God, leaning on God. The nice thing of having God right next to you, he's right there, right there to lean on. It says cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, 
Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves on the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. Man, be yourself. Be honest to God. God, I'm struggling with this. I'm worried about this. Rely on him. Turn to him. Submit to him. You know, Jesus has promised that he will come again. John 14, 2, 3, talk about needing to be ready. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Okay? Jesus speaks the truth. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I'm going to take you with me so that you can go there too. Remember he said, I'm going to a place that you cannot go. He told his disciples this. But I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me to this place that we can't imagine how awesome it is. That's a promise. And when we're there, he's promised an end of death, sorrow, and pain. Revelation 21.4. We hear this a lot at funerals. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Right? The old is gone, the new has come. And that's a lot of promises. I went through a lot of promises. I even cut some out. But I promise you that those aren't all of them. The Bible is filled with words that say, I, that use the word promise, actually say, I promise, I covenant, I vow. And there's so many more of these implied promises because God doesn't lie. If he says it, then it's the truth. And if he says it's going to happen, he's going to do it, it's a promise. The Bible is filled with promises. But even with this abbreviated list, don't we try to rationalize them with our human minds and say, that's impossible to do this stuff. It's impossible for anyone or anything to promise peace, Right? Not with what I'm going through. Promise me a way out. Promise to forgive me after what I've done. Isn't that tough? Friends, those are lies that you're believing. And I want you to take comfort in, in this. God can do the impossible. And that's not just my opinion. It's Luke 18, 27. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Don't try to pigeonhole God in your understanding of what we can do, okay? Because that's not the rules that he lives by. He's not bound through the strengths of our human body and our human experience. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Christ has come not to abolish the law but to fulfill it. Right? And I share this verse often, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And of course, do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason of the hope you have. And if you haven't time to, to taking the time to prepare or think about the reason for the hope you have, Perhaps you can draw from some of this list I just gave this morning. Forward-looking faith. A life filled with hope of these promises that have been fulfilled and those yet to be fulfilled. And that sounds like something to look forward to. Especially if we feel we have not given one or more of these areas to God to control our work in. And that's really the key. How can we expect God to deliver on, it, on his promise when we refuse to let him into that area that we need the blessing? Right? God, I, I want you to provide a way out for me, but I'm not even going to tell you that I'm dealing with the struggle or this temptation. 
You have to submit to God. If this, then that. And my prayer for you this week, for everyone this week, is that you allow God to fulfill his promises in many ways. And even more so, I pray that you recognize what he's doing and give him due thanks for, for his work. And sometimes that's a risky prayer, right? And my challenge this week is that you relinquish some of the control that you think you have over one or more of these areas and let him do what he does best. Let him love you and bless you in a new and amazing way. Okay, let's pray. Father God, you are a good, good father. So amazing with all that you've done for us and continue to do. And God, your word is filled with so many promises of the things that you not only have committed to doing, but you want to do. You delight in fulfilling these promises to us. And some you freely give. And some require us to take an action first. If we do this, then you promise this. And sometimes that if is to wait patiently and confidently. So when we are called to do so in a specific area of our life, help us to understand that it takes an extra amount of faith sometimes to do nothing. To stand in this active posture, expectantly waiting with hope, forward-facing faith. God, and this week as we try to apply these lessons to put these faith tasks into action, help us to give up some of this control that we were never designed to have, to bring you into areas of our lives that you're needed and wanted, areas in our lives where you're needed and maybe not necessarily we don't want you there because it's an area of darkness or sin or shame in our life. And Father God, as we go forward in this week, may we be changed for the what we've heard this morning. And if we have a decision yet to be made, as far as accepting you in our heart, help us to make that. If there is something that we need to uncover in our lives, our lives and bring to you, help us to have the courage to do that and to stand on the promise of forgiveness and repentance and salvation. Father, as always, I want to conclude this prayer with words of thank you for this beautiful building, all that have contributed to it over the many years of its existence and those who will contribute in the future. God, that you've given us a warm and safe and inviting place in this beautiful part of the country. God, I thank you for those who are here this morning, those who listen online. I thank you also for the empty places in the pew and the reminder that it serves, that there's always room to invite more into a relationship with you. Father God, you delight nothing more than to have that kind of relationship with every single person that you create on this earth. Help us to find and take advantage of the opportunity to help others connect with you. We lift this up to you in your name. Amen. Amen.